What's going on, everybody? Welcome to E. Inner Olympian. Inner Olympian. Inner Olympian podcast. You're rocking with the best. Everyone, it's Baladia Jamale. Hey, it's Kira. Everybody, Jared Curry here. Hey, everybody, it's Marissa Papa Constantino here. Hey, everyone, it's Nisha Powell. Hey, I'm Pierce Lepage. Hey, guys, Alicia here. Hey, guys, this is Tia Bennett. Hey, guys, my name is Khadija. Make sure you check out the Inner Olympian podcast. I want you to head over to the Inner Olympian podcast. Check out the Inner Olympian podcast. Check out the Inner Olympian podcast. And I want you guys to check out the Inner Olympian podcast. I want you all to do me a favor and go check out the Inner Olympian podcast. You won't want to miss it. You won't regret it. You gotta do it. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Inner Olympian Podcast, where the goal is to inspire, motivate, and help you exceed what you believe is possible for your life, business, and relationships by tapping into your inner Olympian. My name is Shegu McIndey. I am a two-time Canadian Olympian, and I'm your host. Listen, I believe that you don't need to go to the Olympics to be an Olympian. I believe that being an Olympian comes down to the way that you think, act, and live, and that everyone has the potential to tap into their inner Olympian by changing their mindset, not only to better their own life, but the lives of those around them. This is episode 20, and hey, if this is your first time listening, welcome, thanks for listening, and for those of you who've been listening for a while now, as always, I want to give a big shout out to you guys, thanks for listening, you guys are awesome, and I appreciate you. I want to give a special shout out to everybody listening down in Brazil and Argentina. Thanks so much for the love. I appreciate it. So I just wanted to show a little bit of love back. You know, it's really amazing again to see just how much the podcast and the idea itself has grown and is continuing to grow. And I'm just super grateful for the impact that it's having. And I just hope that it continues to have a greater impact, you know, for years and and years to come. In this episode, I chat with 2016 Canadian Olympian, motivational speaker, model, and producer, Misha Powell. Misha is a 25-year-old Canadian Olympian, motivational speaker, model, and producer. She earned her degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Maryland and has been admitted into Ryerson's 2020-2021 Masters of Digital Media program. She's the daughter of two Olympians, Rosie Edda and Michael Powell. For my track heads out there, you might recognize that name. Misha has always been an active child. However, she started competitively doing track and field at the age of 17 after watching and being inspired by the 2012 Olympics. Four years and four school records later, she was named to the 2016 Canadian Olympic team. Despite not getting the opportunity to race at the Rio Olympics, she's even more determined to make her Olympic return in 2021 as an even faster and stronger competitor. One thing I think was really amazing about this episode and my conversation with Misha was how she was able to change her mindset and overcome her previous ways of thinking, not only when it came to the various situations that she had to go through and navigate, but also when it came to how she even thought about herself. And I think that's just something that was really incredible to see because a lot of times we don't do that. And the interesting thing about mindset is when you start to change your mindset, not only do you start to change, but your environment And the way that you interact with your environment starts to change as well. And so I just think that's something that's worth noticing and paying attention to, you know, during this conversation is just how she was able to do that. And then maybe how you can take that and apply it to your life too. So with that being said, here's Misha. What's going on, everybody? I am here with Misha Powell and... 
first time I met Misha was in 2015. That's the first time me and Misha kind of ran into each other at the airport yeah. on the way to NACAC. <laughs> our first team when we all thought we were going to crash into the mountain yeah. because the landing strip was like two feet long <laughs> and that's where i first met you and i and it was pretty cool like that first kind of experience i think for a lot of people i don't think you ever really forget your first time meeting no. somebody whether it's good or bad or however it i agree goes. but um yeah that's the first time i met you but um before all that though a little bit just a quick introduction and some of the stuff you've been doing you are a three-time all-american um, for the University of Maryland, indoor and outdoor record holder for the 400 meters. And I didn't know that beforehand, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, 2016 Olympic team, yes. went to Rio. That was a great experience. Yes. Uh, 2017 FISU in Taipei. Yeah, that was a great trip. Yeah. And then yeah. 2018 NACAC relay. So you've done like a lot of stuff and like, you know, really good stuff. And the 400 meters is like your, your zone of specialty. So, um, first off, welcome, Misha. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Shigun. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. Okay, so, Misha, a little bit. I just want to kind of let people get to know you. So, first off, I guess I want to just, like, um, I want to let people know a little bit about your background. And I always start with people's backgrounds to get to know their background. But yours is pretty interesting because you're actually a tennis player. Yeah. Before starting track and field. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So I played tennis and I remember specifically why, because when I was a kid, my mom took me to the U.S. Open to watch Serena Williams. And I have still to this day, like two, a Serena Williams and a Venus Williams doll. And they were just my role models from day one. I loved uh, Serena's playing style. I love how tall Venus was. So safe to say, um, you know, I was a big tennis fan and I loved the thought of traveling and and just playing is such a great sport um so I started I actually started really getting to tennis like a little bit later in like a typical tennis world so I was around 11 11 12 when most people are like six so um very different sport than track it's super exclusive it's um a little bit cutthroat and I was in it for fun so I quickly realized that that's not really the case like you know to make it uh you have to be a lot more um, a lot more aggressive. And my coach would always tell me, you need to be more aggressive. You need to be more aggressive. And, uh, I just wanted to make friends. You know, I was there to have fun. I was very (laughs) athletic. So basically I could tell I was going to be a sprinter because my coach was like, stop rushing the net. Like I would literally run through the net. And obviously, you know, if you touch the net, you lose the point. (laughs) So it wasn't really working out. My athleticism was great, but, um, just the lack of, uh, of experience. And I, I also had like a very, very negative um, experience at one of my tennis clubs. Um, so oh, I just was like, yeah, it was really bad. Like just one of the coaches straight up called me bitch. And it was really, wow. un- just, it was so hurtful. It was like, I don't even remember what prompted him to say that. I mean, nothing should prompt a coach, especially, you know, a person in that position to say that. And I remember telling my mom, she was so living, you know, my mom's a single mom. So she definitely was not, gonna let that slide mm-hmm. and um yeah and then basically you know the coach apologized but that was the end of it I I was traumatized I didn't want to go to practice anymore so my mom was like yeah we're not <laughs> we're not doing this so um I think I kept playing a little bit more I think I just kind of played in other other tennis clubs maybe a couple times with my friends but then I was done so I switched to um I switched to cross country 
And it was such a good experience for me because again, I'm a social butterfly. So I got along with the girls and I was just naturally, um, I had a lot of, like, I had a really good lung capacity. So I was running and everybody's like, why did you pick cross country? I'm like, I don't know, because it's fun. And then I quickly realized that like, you know, you have to run really far. <laughs> you have to yeah. do it a lot of times. <laughs> so did that for a season and I went to offset, which was fun. I think I finished in like, you know, the top half, but I'm talking like the bottom of the top half because I fell. Um, and again, I, I made some great friends there. And then I went transitioned to the, um, to sprints. So I started at University of Toronto at like the UTTC track club and I got into, I think I was getting into like the 400. I don't think we were looking at something too, too long yet. And I wasn't running fast at all. I was just trying it out. And then, um, yeah, I then a coach, coach Andrew Bellman from University of Maryland. He was there to recruit some girls he wasn't there to recruit me actually but I just went right up to him I was like hi I'm Misha Powell I run the I run the 400 and he's like okay you know (laughs) like who's this girl and then uh, fast forward a couple months and I dropped four seconds in the season and um, at that point he was following me and he's like yeah yeah you're gonna come (laughs) to the university and that was a classic case of like not knowing better because a lot of the girls that I was running against were very established. I remember actually um, one time going to AFSA and the coach that was coaching me at the time was surprised that I made the finals. And he was like, okay, just don't worry about winning. You know, <laughs> and I remember just being like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm going to go after this. And I came second at AFSA my first year um, running track. And I was so glad that I, I took a chance. So then that takes me to Maryland and uh, I went to University of Maryland. Um, so happy because it gave me so much strength and I found uh, I found who I was a little bit more. Um, and running in the, at the um, NCAA level really pushes you because it's nonstop round after rounds. I'm running, you know, 400 meter uh, prelims. I'm running the 400 meter um, finals and the 400 four by four. So it, it was a lot of, running a lot of racing which helped a lot with my nerves um so that was a great experience and then uh really running um beyond what I could have run what what, beyond what I thought I could have run was the best part because I was coming in like I said not the fastest and then finished off with uh, a couple couple records under my belt um yeah and I was just so happy I could be there because my goal was to really be like a role model for uh future incoming classmen because I wanted to let them know like you don't have to be coming in with like a bunch of state champions and titles because I never had a title going into uh university and I went to school in the states and I really just I did that because my mom Rosie Etta she went to university of um she went to Rice University so she was in Houston she had a great time there great experience and they have a different dynamic in terms of how they support um track and field in the states it's there's a lot of money backing it there's a whole system um in place so i felt like that was the best place for me to thrive because there was it's just a it's like a culture there you know it's like a track Mm -hmm. and field culture that um you really can't find anywhere else and i think that that helped me realize that i was a part of something pretty big and uh yeah i was really fortunate to to get a scholarship there for those who may not know, Misha's actually kind of like low-key track royalty, in a sense. 
uh, Misha's mom is actually a three-time um, Canadian Olympian and yeah. medalist, quite an incredible woman uh, Olympian. Uh, she yeah. she used she's a former Canadian record holder. Yes. And the yes, Sage Watson hurdles. has it now. Yeah, my good friend Sage, she's awesome. Shout out to Sage. Um, but yes. also her dad is Mike Powell. And, and for those in the track world, you might recognize the name. But for those who aren't, Mike Powell is a, a two-time Olympic silver medalist for the United States. And he's also the world record holder in the long jump. So, oh yeah, yeah, so Misha comes it's from... coming up on 30 years now. Yeah, which is crazy. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> Which is nuts. That that that's a whole other thing that we can get into. But I wanted to talk about and focus a little bit on your mom because you kind of mentioned. I mean, you mentioned her in passing. It's mm-hmm. about like how like you know she was kind of a big influence for you going down to the states yeah. and yeah that environment. I also want to touch on the environment a bit later, but more so like her influence on you. And so, mm-hmm. what has been her influence on your life? So I'll start off with the track side. My mom, she was. Um, from a single mom household as well, uh, three kids. So she was the middle child. And she was growing up in um, very, very low income. But anyway, my grandmother was such a strong influence in uh, all of our lives. She still is. And uh, so my gra- my mom wanted to make sure, like, you know, she wanted to make the most of her life. So she went to, she went to um, high school in Montreal. That's where I was born. And uh, she um, got a scholarship to the States. And she realized, whoa, I get to leave Montreal and basically do what I love, run, and be... Um, you know, taken care of and, 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 not, and also obviously alleviate a lot of, uh, of the burden of my grandmother that had to uh, take on having so many roles. She, my grandmother worked three jobs, you know, night shifts all the way till I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I remember her constantly working and, you know, with that comes a lot of frustrations and, um, let's be honest, like households, it's very tense. So my mom was looking forward to getting out of that and, making the most of her talent. So she told me from day one, going to university um, and getting a full, a full scholarship. And of course, um, my I'm, I was very lucky too, because my, my grades factored in as well. So that I was already, I knew going into grade 12, I need to make sure my grades are up and my um, athletic skills are uh, you know, where they need to be. So my mom, she really benefited from going to school in the States. She, uh, LaSalle's a small, that's where we're from. LaSalle's a really small, um, town. So they were so proud of her when she was doing so well and, Mm -hmm. um, made her first Olympic team in 1988. And so that there was a lot of support there. And, um, you know, when you're coming from a family that has very little money and everything was really tense and um, stressful, you know, going to going to school and having that support and bringing, um, you know, like you're, you're, you're starting a legacy. You're, you're creating um, such a, you're such a, like you're creating such a big impact. So she was doing incredible things. She started running the 400, then got into the four hurdles because they actually told her, no, you're not as fast as you could be in the four, 400. So why don't we try the four hurdles? And my mom is a powerhouse. So she really, she, she killed in the four hurdles and, um, she, like I said, made a couple teams and just kept it just thriving. So she, um, when she made the Olympic team, uh, when the third one, so 1996, so the year before that she was pregnant with me. And, um, once again, like it's, it was obviously really shocking for her mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. my grandmother did the most that she could to help. But again, 
she used track and field as that way to uh, provide support for her family and for herself. And my mom is just really, she's just a strong person. And the fact that she can um, balance so many different roles is incredible for me. And so again, when she really prefaced how, um, how many opportunities come from going to school in the States and Mm -hmm. getting that support, the networking too is huge. I feel like everybody can really benefit from um, meeting people who can give you, um, you know, give you an in and they know so much and they want to help you. And like, for instance, my coach from uh, University of Maryland has been a phenomenal um, uh, source of support for me throughout all these years because he knows um, athletes, uh, you know, on the Team USA that have uh, gone through the uh, university system and beyond. So he can give me a lot of insight as to how to feel once I'm done with university and so on. And um, so those kind of people in your lives, they never leave you. And I feel like track and field is a beautiful sport because it brings you to so many different parts of the world and everybody has similar experiences with what's going to make me feel my best and do my best and how to keep pushing. Because as you know, track and field, like you can have a really good season and everything's great, but then the next season, if it doesn't go out, you're going to find yourself in some dark places and that's where you really need to reach out and um, make sure that you're, you're not too hard on yourself, but obviously you're figuring out what is the best balance for my training? What's the best balance for my racing schedule? And uh, I've gotten a lot of great advice from my mom. And like I said, all the great things that have come from that, um, all the opportunities that come from track is fantastic. And then, so as, as on a personal end, my mom's influenced me um, just to really make sure I take every opportunity that I can, because once you kind of like, you almost push things off and you say, oh, you know, I'm not really that good at this, or I'm not really that that's when you close the door on yourself. For for example, my mom actually didn't go to school for journalism. She went to school. She has a master's in uh, art history, but she was offered an opportunity to be um, to work at uh, CBC, and so that just you know flourished into the career that she has now. So again, she's told me and and showed me so many times how you really never know until you try. So she's given yeah. me that great strength and uh, not ever limiting myself and um, going beyond what I think is possible. Mm. Wow. You stopped playing tennis. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that you only started checking when you were about 16. So you stopped mm. playing tennis at a pretty young, pretty young age. Went to the University of Maryland, went to the track mm. and field system, NCAA system. So for you, being where you are right now, when you're looking yeah. back, like, yeah. You know, how did you know that this path that you took in terms of like leaving tennis to mm-hmm. go to track and field, to go down to the United States, to go to the mm-hmm. system, to come back out now on the other side of it? Like, mm-hmm. how did you know that this was your path? How did you know that it was right for you? Yeah. Um, would, would you choose it again? And yeah. do you have any regrets? Like, do you have any regrets kind of looking back, not choosing tennis or not right. continuing with tennis over, over track and field? Right. That's a great question. Um, I think speaking from my own personal experience, I think that I am a better person because of track. I feel like if I continued on with tennis, I would have been a lot more sheltered. And um, I don't think I would have met as many people from different backgrounds. Because like I keep explaining, like uh, tennis is a very exclusive sport. It's not the level yet where it's um, it's easily accessible to as many people as um, track and field. So I think that I would have 
probably thought of the world in a very skewed way, just again, from what I think I would have gone through, which would have been, you know, same kind of circle, feeling like I probably couldn't trust too many people um, because, oh, I, I want to make sure I beat this girl and I don't want to, I don't want to let anybody in, you know, but whereas with track and field, I have, I have um, friendships with girls that I've raced before and I've won some and they've won some. And it's, I feel like uh, such a, it's more organic in that way because um, it's so black and white. If you cross the finish line first, you win. If I cross the finish line first, I win, you know, um, whereas if I was going through a system of, um, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of privilege attached to it. Um, I think that I would have been just a little bit more guarded and I probably just would have been, uh, just really in my own, in my own bubble. So I'm actually, I still love the sport. And I think that there's so many incredible, um, women that have changed the game for sure for the better. But, um, I think that choosing track and field has, and it hasn't been perfect, of course, you know, it's not like to say that I have was welcomed and, and everything was perfect, but it was obviously a better, um, way for me to feel like, okay, I'm earning this on my own merit. And if I have any animosity or if there's any tension between somebody, I can just, you know, talk it out. And, um, honestly, I remember some practices, like my coach would tell me, uh, oh, is there something wrong? And I was like, well, you know, like me and this girl aren't seeing eye to eye. He's like, I want you guys to leave it off the track, you know, because it wasn't about that. It was about, you know what, we're on the same team. We all want the same things for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think I grew up so much in my four years at Maryland, because again, I was thinking, um, I was thinking more about like, you know what, what's going to be the benefit for, for me and the team. And, uh, I feel like the people I met in track and field have had such incredible, um, influence on my life and I feel like vice versa because I was you know coming in from Canada and um I had to realize like you gotta you have to assert yourself but also being true to yourself is going to be the best thing you have at the end of your four years you know because then you're going to look back and go oh no you're like I'm happy that I made some mistakes and that I uh but I I stayed true to who I was and um, you know, I think again, I'm really proud. I continue with track and field. I do, I do want to say, of course, there is the money aspect. Um, there's significantly less money. In track and field, so <laughs> that is obviously where, oof, if I could, um, if I could combine the two mm. sports, bring the sponsors and the, the, the prestigious, you know, uh, uh, lifestyle that's attributed to, to tennis and merge it with, the, the grit and um, the camaraderie of track and field, that would be ideal. Uh, however, you know, as you know, we don't really do what we do for, um, for the, you know, the big prize money, but it would be a little bit less stressful when you're not having the best season to have um, a bigger, uh, bigger brand support, bigger, like, you know, um, you know, tournaments in tennis are like really like high scale, like there, you'll see the posters everywhere, you know, they're televised as much more on a higher scale than track and field is like, that would be mm -hmm. great because it's not to say that, you know, smaller track and field meets aren't, um, uh, appreciated, but it's that, you know, if you compare a off season tennis co competition where the, uh, grand prizes, let's say, you know, a hundred thousand dollars 
there's no such thing in track. There's no small track meet that you cross the finish line. They give you a hundred thousand dollars because right. obviously it's dispersed amongst a lot more of us, but it's a completely different, um, dynamic in terms of, uh, promotion. And, uh, so that's probably the only thing I would say. And that's not really, again, about choosing the sport. It's more that I wish that track could, uh, adopt a little bit more of that, um, that side of, of the high stakes sponsorships, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. But I totally understand where you're, where you're coming from when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the Rolex watches yeah. when, you, when you finish, that would be cool too. But again, uh, I think I, I see myself getting stronger as a person through track because the pain it, 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 it you go through at practice but then the joy that you feel when you cross the finish line and you see that time, and you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So you feel like track was a better decision because it kind of helped you to develop not only yourself physically, but yourself like all around as like a person. Yeah. Yeah. For my, in my case, absolutely. Because I, um, I just did, I wasn't prepared for the tennis world, whereas with my mom and my dad um, and their stories, that better equipped me for, for the track and field community. Ah, yeah. Interesting. yeah. For you, was there like any type of clear turning point or clear realization, I guess, to pursue track and field or to continue in it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Continue in it, but maybe like double down and like, okay, you yeah. know, was there any type of like, I guess so far in, in your career so far, has there been any major like, moment for you yeah I think actually my freshman year of university um I was at um east conferences yeah I mean I went I made it to the east conference and um I was just one off from making it to um nationals and uh like the the quarters and I remember thinking at first like oh, well, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, I made it this far and I'm pretty happy with it. But then seeing my, the seniors on the team go on and go to nationals, I remember thinking, man, like I was that close. I was one spot away. Cause I think I was 25th. Yeah. I was 25th and they take 24 people to go to um, nationals. And I was just thinking, man, you know what? I was probably again, thinking that's good enough for a freshman, but yeah, I think that was the moment my freshman year thinking, you know what, you're capable of so much more and that's okay. You know, again, that's learning. You don't know how fast you are until you really start to, to see how much more you can, you can bring. And so, yeah, freshman year was a big change for me. And, and then indoor, indoor Olympic year was huge. Um, because I just shifted, I shifted from you know, okay, I ran a one, like one good 400 meters to, oh, I want every single 400 I run. And when I step on the, onto the track to be good. And that year, I remember, uh, transitioning from indoor to outdoor. My first race I ran outdoor was a 52 four and I never even ran 52 at that point. So, um, I was so happy that I kind of just let go. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect to run that fast, but I think it's because I wasn't trying to you know, run for anybody. I was just running because I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm pretty fit. I'm pretty fit at this point. I'm learning a lot and um, let me go after it. Let me not, you know, let me not be satisfied. Yeah. Two things, two questions. 
want you to talk a little bit about letting go because that seems to be a really big thing mm-hmm. that pops up a lot, especially for us, I think, and in track and field, it's a big thing to be mm-hmm. able to like let go of, mm-hmm. of outcomes or let go of like just, you know, something that you want to happen. We'll talk mm-hmm. about letting go a little bit. And then I also want you to talk about being really true to yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and why that's important to you. Because you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that's kind of why tennis didn't really suit you. You also mentioned, you know, just in terms of your personality and how you like to meet people and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Has that been a hindrance to you in terms of competition or anything like that? So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about letting go, why that's important. And then yeah. also talk a little bit about being true to yourself and how that's either maybe helped you, hindered yeah. you, but yeah. more importantly, why that's important to you. I feel like, again, my freshman year and sophomore year, letting go of, you know, trying to please everybody and trying to feel like I'm, I need to make sure that I, I fit in or, you know, being, um, I, of course, I was coming in as, as a, my, my Powell's daughter, but my dad, my um, coach actually at the time, um, Andrew Valman said, you know, I don't want you to be Mike Powell's daughter. I want you to be Misha Powell. So letting go of that external pressure and also letting go of, shouldn't I be running this fast? Shouldn't I be doing this? That's what I think helped free me from running okay times to running a 51 my junior year. Because when you are thinking less about what others think you should be doing and instead of what you what you deserve and what you owe to yourself for putting all that hard work in, I think that's when things really come easily. It's actually like, you know, it's, it's like that state when you're running a 400 and you want to be running fast, but relax. It's that perfect feeling. Your, your legs are just like eating the ground and, and you don't even realize that you're running your fastest time because you almost go, was that slow? You're like, no, no, it wasn't because you're just, it's that fast and relaxed it's at ease um but purposeful purposeful running so letting go of those those voices and um you know again that external pressures i think it's going to serve you a lot more than constantly looking around seeing where everybody else is of course it's good to ask questions it's good to um seek guidance but if you're always constantly doubting yourself and worried about what somebody else is thinking about you it's just not really helpful because you're your own person and that's incredible. You're, you're the one going through this path. So um, giving yourself that time to really just reflect, look at what you've been doing, figure out what's been blocking um, your mindset, what's been bringing on those feelings of like, you know, heaviness and releasing that. I think it's the best thing. And that, that happens, you know, throughout like life, (laughs) it's not just going to be one moment, of course, but that was a big turning point for me. And that I think allowed me to realize, hey, you know what, you're fast and you could be even faster, but you have to at least give yourself that chance <laughs> to run quickly and to do so because you you know you can, not looking for permission to do so and to realize that, you know, I have my own talents apart from my parents. So that was really, that was really helpful for me to go through that, um, you know, again, my freshman and sophomore year, that realization and then um, you were saying about being true to myself. Yeah. So it's funny, actually. I just had a conversation with um, with Brittany Crew. She's a fantastic athlete, an amazing uh, Canadian chocolate Olympian. And uh, she actually asked me how it how is it for me being very bubbly, very you know warm, and and uh, a people person. How is it for me 
running sprints <laughs> because as you know, the dynamic in sprints can be um, a very clickish and very um, standoffish in some cases. And I understand because it is a very um, tense sport. It's literally milliseconds separating you from your opponents. But um, what I think, what I bring to uh, the sprints is that I came from a long distance side. So, um, you know, to say it's not cutthroat, that's not true, but um, there's a lot more time. You know, you can actually, you could feed off of people when you run. So I remember a couple of races, you know, just being like, hey, you know, good job, good job. And like, I remember actually running the 400 in Germany and uh, this girl from the States, um, super sweet. She actually said, wow, like, because I congratulated her after our race. And she said, wow, you were so nice for a 400 meter runner. She's like, I was like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, like, this is never like this. It's never, it's never like this after a race. Um, and I, and I feel like that's too bad because, you know, we should all be there to support each other. And again, I'm not saying, you know, before your race, you're like, you know, asking everybody for hat for high fives, but it's the fact that I think I acknowledge everybody's effort and my own, because I feel like we're all going through this together, the pain, you know, the glory. So that helps me, I think, realize that I have a superpower is being really nice because at first I remember thinking when people would be really standoffish and even ask if I was fake, I was like, wow, like, do I have to change who I am? Do I have to be really mean? And then people will like me because then that means I'm a badass. But at the same time, I realized, no, I, that is my strength. I am tough because I'm a kind person because it takes less energy for me to be kind than to be really harsh. And I think obviously that goes back to, again, my mom, you know, she was in a very stressful household. And, um, so she raised me very, just so much kindness. Her and I do everything together. So I think it comes from that where I go, why would I be, you know, really mean to people? Because I wasn't raised like that and I don't want other people to ever feel bad. So yeah, I like to think of it as me being kind to other people, showing that um, wherever I am, whether it's on the track or, um, you know, when I'm working, it's just a great way for me to feel like I'm contributing to the world and to, uh, I feel like I'm leaving the track better, you know what I mean? Than, than when I came on. And I mean, obviously it's tough because you want to find the right balance of, being tough on yourself, but you, you don't want to be too hard on yourself, but also you want to make sure that you're not being unrealistic and thinking everything's great. You know, like, no, it's not <laughs> that. Like, I know a few people can confuse like being kind, being naive, but I think the key difference is understanding what's going to benefit you uh, first, because if you're going to put every, everybody before yourself, you're not helping anybody. So for me, in my case, I get a lot of sleep. I eat pretty healthy and I push myself on the track and at practice, I love when we all, you know, cheer each other on because I know some people, um, might be having tough days and I feel like it makes all the difference when you are acknowledging them, you know, in a workout and you're just like, yeah, you got it last lap. And you just see them kind of get that surge again. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's watching me. Um, so yeah, maybe, uh, maybe there's a coach in me. I don't know, but I just really like, um, I like supporting people. I like pushing people. Um, I know in workouts, uh, especially when you have like, you know, four repeats, it gets really tough. So I feel like everybody wins when we're all in this um, mindset of let's all push each other. We can do this. And um, yeah, I think being, being myself, being my kind bubbly self, it obviously 
pushes some people away, but I think that it's, it's going to attract the, the right people in my life. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What's one of the more um, challenging situations or conversations that you remember having either, you know, with yourself or somebody else or in track and field yeah. or outside of that? Yeah. Um, so the first big one was I actually had to prove fitness um, in 2017 because I had a hamstring like snag in my, my last year of uh, when I was in university and it carried over into the outdoor season. So I remember I ran at nationals. I think I came sixth and um, I didn't I didn't get selected right away for world university games, even though I had the standard. And I was like, what's going on? What's happening? And then um, actually, you know, surprisingly, I called Glenroy Gilbert and he was like, yeah, I'm on the call right now. We're actually discussing your, um, you know, your situation right now. And I was like, you know what, Glenroy, like I will prove fitness. I will. um, So proving fitness for people who don't know is like you have to run a certain time trial uh, just to showcase that you are healthy and, you know, can run in a few weeks. So I did that. It was my first time. And the crazy thing is that I took my own initiative to call him because, you know, it's, it's tough as an athlete when you go, wow, I'm really setting myself up. Like if I don't run well, I might never get, get, you know, be given a chance again. So mm. I was really glad that I, I stuck to my guns and I'm going to prove fitness. I'm going to show that I can still race. And I did. And I'm so happy because, um, that allowed me to be on my third national team and gave me that confidence again. So I really feel like, um, you know, those tough situations, it's hard in the moment, but you look back and if anything, if it can help for other people, you want to think to yourself, it's going to be hard in the moment, but do I want to look back and go, I'm so glad I did that. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what I told myself. It's like the benefits, it's outweighing the fear of <laughs> oh, what if the person, you know, what, what's the worst case, right? Glover's yeah. going to hang up. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but of course, like that, that wasn't the case and I still had to run and I'm so happy that I did. And, and, um, that was a tough one because at that point I had to realize I'm not a kid anymore. You know, I can't ask my mom to call him like, no, this is about me as an it's athlete. about you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was a great, um, tough situation. I, tough call I had. And it turned out, like I said, it, it really, uh, it worked out because I had to push myself and very happy I did that. And then a conversation that I had with myself, that was really tough. Um, probably last year because I didn't have a good season. Hmm. Um, I changed from having my mom as my coach to, um, we went back to Montreal to train. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just things interesting there. So really trying to figure out what the heck am I doing? You know, like, I think we all do a good job on social media of making things seem like smooth and effortless, but there's so many things going on behind the curtain because track and field, like I keep saying it, when you're not sponsored like me and you have this idea of what, again, like, wait, I know what the standard is. I'm this far off. What do I have to do to get there? It can be discouraging because the times are so definitive. It's like, I need this time so I can make this team. You know, like there's, there's nothing else. It doesn't really, yeah, it's really up to how you run that season. So that was tough for me in 2019. And then I realized, you know what? I need to go back to my roots. I need to go back to training with people because I wasn't training with any other quarter milers. And I was so happy that again, had a tough uh, conversation with myself. I was like, you know, do you want to go back to, um, 
do you want to maybe do something where you're not, you don't have that constant, um, pressure of, Oh, or am I going to, you know, race well. And I realized that as scary as those moments are, that's what makes me who I am. That's why I can get through a comfortable situation because I've had those moments where I'm on the line. I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to run a hundred meters out of this 400. And I do, and I end up actually winning it. And that's why I go, no, no, no. So in 2019, I realized you still want to run track. Okay. You're going to have to change some things. And so I had to go back, come back to to Toronto and um, just face myself and realize that, you know what, I need to be in an environment that's going to push myself and it's going to um, allow me to grow as much as possible. So now I'm back, uh, back in Toronto, I'm training with Bob Westman, who's fantastic. And my training partner, Alicia Brown, who we just get along so well and we train. um, So we're just so cohesive in, uh, in how we work. And so already I can tell that, you know, I could have said, you know what, maybe track isn't for me. Uh, Let me have a nice, non-stressful life, you know, have the nine to five. But then immediately, you know, the other Misha, who was not ready to live a comfortable life said, no, no way. (laughs) You haven't even reached the surface. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is thinking that, oh, you ran 51 and, you know, are you going to be able to do it again? And I realized that that's a really limiting way of thinking because who's to say I'm not going to run a 50 point, but I have to let go of the, I ran that fast time once and think even bigger because how did I want, how did I run that fast time? Because I didn't even know I could, I just said, I'm going to race. So it's the same thing, you know, this year, um, coming into the Olympic year, it's wow, what a reset we're having. And I'm glad I'm getting feedback at practice, you know, since COVID that um, I am running fast again. And it's a good way for me to realize, wow, one year ago, there's no way I would have thought that I was going to push through very uncomfortable situations and not having track access for four months and still want to race um, for Canada and want to push myself. And I want to make it a really big impact the same way I did at Maryland. I want to do the same thing with team Canada. And I know that in order for me to do that, I need to have those tough conversations with myself and see beyond what, what truths I'm giving myself and go, Whoa, I can go even further just because I'm having uh, a little bit of doubt. Like I said, in 2019, because things didn't go my way, it's actually showing me what I really want, you know, by showing me what I don't want. I didn't want to not make worlds. I didn't want to um, be in a situation where I felt like I was stagnant and I was like, Oh, I need to change everything, (laughs) but Mm. still keep myself, uh, my true self in there. And that was the Misha who um, wants to run as fast as possible and do so in the most positive way, you know, uh, that I can. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. There's so much you said in there. I want you to talk about facing yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that's huge. I think a lot of people run from facing themselves. Yeah. yeah don't take yeah. the time to face themselves and kind of miss out on the opportunity that they have to maybe, you know, kind of go the extra step. Cause like you made some pretty big changes here. You went mm-hmm. from training with your mom, who was a big influence in your life. Yes. Right. You guys are very close. You wear a ring on your finger. That's like, that she gave you, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, that's. Yeah. That, that's how close you guys are. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you guys are, yeah. you guys are tight to go to train with, 
Bob, who's a great guy. Shout out to Bob, who's listening. And also um, going from Montreal mm -hmm. to Toronto. And for those mm -hmm. of you who are, who are outside of Canada, to go from anywhere, such as Toronto, is like, it's, it's a really big deal. You know what I mean? Just in general. So talk about that. Talk about some of those changes and like having to face yourself in order to make those changes. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty um, disciplined. You know, like when I make a big change, I know that, all right, things are going to have to go a certain way and I'm going to have to um, be really sure of, of this decision. So, you know, we didn't make it lightly. Um, and I'm very fortunate that my, so I'm from Montreal, my family's still there, but I actually ended up getting my own place. I got my own place. I needed a space where I could come home to after practice. And you know, I reached out to some coaches and, um, you know, had a plan set, but then I fell through. And then I uh, was training with some, you know, some teenagers um, and, you know, it was all good, but then I wasn't getting the challenge I needed. I realized very quickly that, wow, this year is going by so fast and um, my times haven't really uh, gone down as well with, with the season. So had to face myself, had to realize this wasn't going according to my plan. And, um, you know, had to pick up the phone and just say like, hey, Bob, you know, can I train with you again? And that was a great moment because we met up when I came back to Toronto. And he was like, of course, um, you know, we'd be happy to have you back. And just being in that dynamic of like, very, you know, the workouts are tough, you know, they're, they're relentless, but at the same time, I know I can push through and the next week it's going to feel even better. I knew that that was what I was missing, um, from training on my own. And my mom, she, you know, she just wanted to basically, um, be helpful, but it's different when, you know, like Bob has so many years of coaching on the uh, national team. And my mom was getting her coaching certificate you know, getting everything done, but she also had a job as well, like mm -hmm. a full-time job. So that was tough. And I realized that, wow, I, you know, brought my mom into the situation and I'm not really sure if she like fully, um, um, wanted that <laughs> added pressure. Cause now you should, like you were saying, she's my mom, she's my coach, she's my manager and she had incredible, um, you know, feedback and connections. But I feel like the dynamic that my mom and I already had as mother and daughter, it just needed to be that. Um, <laughs> so that was, um, yeah, that was a good call too, because now we're closer than before and, and coming back to Toronto, I have to say Toronto, it's just a really great, um, it's a great training environment for me. And I'm really lucky to, to be training at UFD again. You know, it's a really, uh, it's it's a very warm place. It's very welcoming, but it's also challenges me every time I step on the track. Um, so I needed to realize that you need that that uncomfortable side again. You know, when you go to practice and you're like, I don't even know, am I gonna get through this? Yes, 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 I can, I can. And that's better than, you know, so that was that was key, you know, not being like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable again. Mm. Um, that was the biggest, the, the biggest factor for me. Mm. Was that something that like maybe you thought was important, but turned out not to be, or was there anything else maybe during that process that you thought, Oh, this is not as important as I thought it was going to be. Was there, is there, is there anything for you like that? Or was there anything for you like that? I think wanting to be in control 
that was my biggest thing. Uh, you know, it sometimes still is in my mind, but way less so now. So definitely when I first started track and field, I remember wanting to know the lane assignment. I needed the lane to be lane three or four. I needed like, I needed the weather to be perfect on my race day. Um, I needed people to be just like, you know, I, I just, I needed everything to be really like calm around me. So I think wanting to control as much as I could, I thought that was so important. I thought that's the only way you could have a good race, but, um, no, not at all. My, one of my best races, uh, was like torrential downpour just before I ran. And, um, you know, again, coming here, moving back to Toronto, it felt a little bit like, oh man, am I going to have to explain everything to people? And once again, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> you can't control everything, especially when already it's, it, there's a plan already in place right now. So I have to like trust that, um, everything's leading me to where I need to be. So yeah, wanting to be in control was a huge part of when I first started track mm-hmm. and, uh, realizing that, you know, if you get lane one, um, or lane eight, six times in a season, you just got to make the best of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you have to really just be grateful for where you are, make the most of what you have in front of you and not dwell on, you know, again, those really insignificant things like lanes, like things that you can't really, they're out of your control really. Um, so yeah, I think that would have been something that I would have said, Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't really matter at all because I put all these hours into my training and that's gonna, that's going to take me through this, this race regardless. Hmm. So yeah, that was a big part for me to change from the beginning of my track career to now where I don't care what lane I get. I don't care what time I race. Um, just, uh, as long as I have a, a strategy ahead of time, you know, and I stick with that. That's, that's all I need to worry about. <laughs> yeah. How do you develop the courage to step out of your comfort zone? I mean, you made some pretty big changes, like even with your, with your mom, not yeah. even your coach and you, and you mentioned it just, you know, in terms of the workouts with Bob. So yeah. how do you develop the courage to step outside of your comfort zone like on a daily basis? Um, I do feel like getting outside of your comfort zone is trusting that you, um, you're going to make the best decision for what you need. And I mean, I, for example, I would go, um, I would go and volunteer because I wanted to, it wasn't because I thought, oh, this would look good on my resume. Like, I just like to do stuff that puts me inside of my comfort zone, meet new people, meet people from different backgrounds. And, um, so that's a good example of, or people who want to practice like being outside of your comfort zone is talking to people you never met because, of course, you're going to think at first, oh no, did I say that one word wrong? But it doesn't matter because as long as your message is clear and your intentions obviously are good, that people are going to see that. So not taking yourself too seriously, but also reminding yourself of like why you're doing something. That's my approach to how I can get outside of my, my comfort zone. You did this kind of like uh, kind of five piece thing for something called um, the undefeated mm-hmm, and you're a contributor yes. for them and you wrote like a couple of really cool pieces. So just yeah. for those of you who are really, who like to read a lot, um, some of these you should go check out. It's actually pretty cool. But in one of them, you mentioned about kind of how embracing failure as, um, a means to success. 
And you mentioned a couple of things in there. I'm going to see if I can get your thoughts on them. And one of them that you mentioned was that, like, um, you said, after I was named to the Canadian Olympic team in 2016, I thought that everything in my life would fall into an alignment. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you go on to saying, unbeknownst to me at the time, it would be the most mentally and physically challenging season of my track career thus far. So mm-hmm. I want you to kind of talk about thinking that everything is going to fall yes. to alignment. And I guess that kind of touches on letting go, but yeah. talk to it a bit now from like that experience. I think because I was attributing so much of who I was to my times and my success that I had such a hard season after because I, I, I wouldn't see the immediate success right after being named to the team. So I kind of got in my head. And um, I think I needed to realize that I'm so much more than a time and, um, you know, how many teams I make. I had to realize that I'm, I'm my effort. I am, um, I'm my mind, you know, I'm, I'm my spirit. So I think that when I look back, I realized why that season was really tough because I was really excited to have been named and then think, okay, now people are going to take me seriously. And, um, you know, now I'm an Olympian like my parents. So I did it. I made it (laughs) not realizing that. No, like that's not where the story ends at all. That's only the beginning. Um, it just so happened that my second team ever was the Olympic team. So, um, I had to really think about it in the bigger picture mm. and realize that that was just one of the great things I've done, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, it wasn't the way I would have like wanted it to be. Cause I, as you know, um, I would have wanted to make the Olympic team in the individual 400 because I was going into, I was going into national strength second, um, with 51.9. So I had the standard and then, my finals didn't go well. So I came six and I was brought on as an alternate. So I think that a lot of the disappointment of not going for the individual kind of tumbled into, okay, now like everything has to be faster than your best and you have to have this perfect climb. So putting all that added pressure and almost like setting up this narrative that was so limiting, you know, like, okay, if every single race is better than your 51, then you're good. Then you're, then you're supposed to be on the team. You know, it's not good. It wasn't good for me to think like that. And, um, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot from that because I should have been a lot kinder to myself and realized that Uh. everything is about learning. (laughs) Like, Mm. whoa, you know, I, I was already putting up all these expectations when I hadn't even you know, realize that I made the Olympic team at 21. Like I wasn't even realizing that I did something that so few people do. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was ready, like jumping onto the next thing and worrying that people were going to say, oh, you didn't compete. So like, you're not really an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And that's insane because obviously I trained my hardest and ran my fastest to get on that team. Um, but then I was already jumping into the next thing. So yeah, that was a really tough mental and physical. And I think that that definitely contributed to my my hamstring, um, full because I was putting so much pressure on myself. Like if I don't run faster (laughs) this year, Mm -hmm. that's it. And nobody's Mm -hmm. saying that, like nobody is saying that. So yeah, that's a, it's kind of interesting to look back at that and realize how much, um, how much, uh, as, as athletes, we do that to ourselves. We put so much extra pressure and it's, again, it's, there's good pressure. And then there's pressure that just, 
I feel like it's, it stifles your, your growth. And that's what was, that's what was happening with me. So, um, after I got hurt, I remember just, that was honestly the break, even though it was involuntary, (laughs) that was the break I needed because I realized, well, you need to slow down. You need to take it race by race. Mm. And, um, just every single race, that's, that's all you focus on instead of focusing on 10 races from now. And it's like workouts now, instead of looking at six workouts ahead, now I look at one workout as I do it. And that mm-hmm. helps me so much more. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Cause you also, uh, you mentioned later on in the same article, how you kind of had this, like you had this real uh, realization of this one dimensional kind of thought process. And I think that happens for a lot of, you know, a lot of athletes and a lot of people who really want to achieve something, they just become like one dimensional and focused on that one thing instead of like you mentioned focusing on the the whole and like the entirety of like yeah my second olympic team my second canadian team was an olympic team right yes and um exactly one thing that you mentioned i thought was really interesting that you you said um that uh sooner or later you have to face the fact that you couldn't rely on last year's outcome to predict your coming track season which i thought was pretty interesting so talk about that a little bit in terms of like how do you break out from that one-dimensional thought process or how did you do that and then how do you not rely on your past so that you can create the future that you want. Right. So I like numbers. So I think that I, at that point was seeing this very steady trend. So I was thinking every year I'm going to drop a second because that's what was basically happening. It was Mm. going 55. My, I was 17 round of, sorry, no, I was 18 round of 55. Then I was 19 and ran at 54. And then 20, I ran a 53 and then 21, boom, I got my 51. So I was thinking, oh, well, then that makes sense. I'm going to run even faster. Not (laughs) thinking about, because again, this is where me not having as many years in in the sport kind of hurt a little bit is because I didn't realize that, no, the faster you get, the harder it is to bring down your time. It's not the opposite. Mm. So, So, yeah, so somehow I had this weird equation in my head, like every year you're going to drop a second and a half, you know, um, instead of thinking that every year, wow, I'm still progressing. That's fantastic. Not thinking about a plateau, not thinking about, um, body changes, not thinking about, um, obviously mentally you have more races in you. So yeah, some people, they race more, they run faster, they race more, they run faster. Um, but also I think because I was feeling like I was constantly getting faster every year that it just made sense that I was going to run faster again, not thinking about how, well, more years you run, the more your body's going to go through a lot of, uh, a lot of high impact, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of wear and tear. So I didn't give myself a chance to just, you know, sit still and think about how my body was changing, how my body was feeling. And, um, yeah, I, I now realize that I was setting myself up with all these like insane, um, oh, just in, in these insane like times. I was like, if I don't get this, you know, it's going to set, that's going to be my value as a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I really think it's the thing with track is, is especially when it comes to times is like, you feel like you're okay. You deserve things when you get that time as opposed mm. to um, the effort I put into it. Cause you know, it's hard to measure effort. You know, the effort I put into my race and my practice, that's how I'm going to measure myself 
as an athlete, not mm -hmm. the time, because uh, the times come, they will. Um, but it's like, you can't, you can't dictate that. You can only dictate how much, um, how much effort you put into. So I think that's just coming from getting older and, uh, yeah. And talking to people, um, you know, even Felicia George, she's a phenomenal athlete. And she gave me advice when I asked her about, you know, transitioning, uh, to my, my mom was my coach for the first year. And I was like, Oh, things are a little bit tough right now. Like how long does that take? And she's like, Oh, she's like, girl, it, it takes two to three years. Like it's not immediate. So once again, I think I was going into, um, these changes with like this, you know, fast, <laughs> just fast, fast, um, uh, outlook and, and expectation. I was like, okay, I'm going to have a, a new coach. My mom's going to be my coach. Everything's great. And I'm going to run a, I'm going to run the K record with her and everyone's going to talk about it. It's like, whoa, you know, just mm. enjoy what, what, is happening enjoy the changes and figuring figure things out as as you go um yeah so again i glad i i've i've had credible mentors um throughout my journey and i've realized more and more that you can't plan everything <laughs> yeah. um but again track and field's given me a lot of um incredible experiences that have helped me grow as a person yeah last question so knowing everything that you know now, kind of looking back, what would you tell uh, a young Misha? Or what's one piece of advice? It's, yeah. I, I, I think of the one piece of advice, like one thing you would say in the time machine and travel back, you like, this is the one thing you can tell yourself. What, yes. what would that be? It's a good one. I think I would say, I would have said you're so much stronger. You're a hundred times stronger than you know, because of course I could do it, but, um, I think I always just was like, Oh, I'm not sure. And, uh, and, and who am I, you know, who am I to, mm. to kind of go for this or think I deserve that. And because again, like nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows the best way to go about things. So I would have really, really encouraged myself to go after things. And in a way that was a lot more bold and a lot more, um, a lot more confident in myself and that would have I think helped with the anxiety beforehand mm. um, but I think that's how I learn I realize after I do something that you know might be a little bit scary that I go oh okay it wasn't that bad yeah, it wasn't that bad <laughs> no it wasn't that bad so yeah I would have told myself you're a hundred times stronger than you think you are so that I can go through a race, go through a conversation and feel so much more empowered. Hmm. Where can people find you? How can people get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, where people reach you? So right now I use my Instagram a lot more frequently. Um, I'm starting to use Twitter a lot more as well. Um, so my Instagram is at Misha Jada. That's my middle name. And my uh, Twitter is Misha, at Misha underscore Powell. Um, and I love to engage with people on there. I'm so interested in, um, whenever people ask me about like fitness or of course mental health, I love to give my own opinion and, uh, about my life, about what, what helps. And I love cooking. So if anybody needs any recipes, any cook <laughs> recipes, that is where you can find me on the gram. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, Misha, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to 
sit down and chat and share your experiences. It's uh, it's like really eye opening. It's really cool, and I really hope that uh, you know people you know listen and they're able to be encouraged and you know inspired to kind of go after the things that they want to do with a bit more with a bit more courage and a bit more confidence. Thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening. That's it for today's episode. Um, Thank you for your time. I hope you guys have a great uh, day, great afternoon, great wherever and wherever you are. For more episodes or for any details about The Inner Olympian or anything like that, you can check us out on Instagram at theinnerolympian.co. Also, if you like the show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a comment, leave a review, leave five stars. I'm just saying... Um, as well, if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that that you'd like to share, feel free to send a message to support at theinnerolympian.com or send me a message on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, let me know what's going on and I'll see you guys next time. So until then, peace.